Welcome, everybody, to the Resilient Podcast. My name is Neil Tan, and I'm your host today. So today we've got a great guest actually visiting inside of the InsureTech Insights, Marco Mirabella. Marco, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, great, to, great to be here. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming in. And, uh, you know, I know you have a really short window of time being visiting in Hong Kong, but uh, maybe you can just kind of give a quick introduction about yourself. And... Perfect, yeah. Like, uh, I'm originally Italian. Uh, but I've been living in Asia for the past uh, eight years. So ended up in Asia because I did uh, a, a double degree between uh, the Polytechnic of Milan and Tongji University in Shanghai. And after that, I got into Chan Accelerator and, and MOX, so in the VC space. And that's how I met uh, Neil so during, during the journey there. So I stayed there for like around one year and then decided to start my own company in the blockchain space called Cartesi. So Cartesi was a layer two solution, essentially a solution that allows the underlying blockchain to increase the computational throughput and the transactional throughput. I stayed there for two years and a half, eventually decided to leave, uh, and then did one year in, uh, as a chief strategy officer in a company that got invested by Mox called Bigo. This is the biggest price comparison website in uh, Southeast Asia. And then after that, like, kind of like I was missing the speed and the exciting like uh, space of uh, crypto. So they decided to jump back in, like uh, like dive back in and then start an insurer around three years ago. That is the company I'm currently running. Mm, great. So maybe you can tell us uh, about the latest venture, Insuro. Like what exactly does it do, you know, and what sort of uh, markets and, and clients and users does it serve? Sure. So Insuro is a blockchain-based uh, insurance company. And what it means is that we use uh, crypto, in particular USDC, which is a stable coin pegged one-to-one with the US dollar, in order to back up insurance uh, products that uh, our partners sell. So we leverage some of the components in, uh, in the decentralized finance space. So like, for instance, liquidity pools or oracles. And uh, like we, we bridge the, the traditional world of insurance and, and the world of DeFi. So investors can connect their wallet, like MetaMask and Coinbase wallet or others, and then deploy USDC in, a, in this liquidity pool, and then earn interest rate that come from the insurance premium that the, that the, partners, like, uh, that the partners collect when selling the products to the, to the final users. Mm, I see. And then so what, uh, I mean, if you kind of look at that, what type of uh, deals actually come through that platform? And then let's say what's a high yield, what's a low yield? Like, you know, of course, there's different types of ranges in terms of those different premiums, right? Yeah, so in the way that the protocol uh, works, essentially like we we use smart contracts for handling in the end-to-end, so from capital collection to capital disbursement. So this has certain advantage in terms of uh, reducing the operational cost. However, like the the set of application that we can do, like it's uh, re- restricted to like some parametric insurance product. So a parametric insurance product is a product with a binary outcome. The sense that it's uh, either an event happens or doesn't happen. If the event happens, then the trigger is uh, uh, released and the payout is released as well. So this is the focus of, uh, of insurer at the moment. You, and the products that we have are cancellation for any reason, which is that product when a user like buy a ticket or an experience, allow them to cancel it and get like a portion of the cost back, sure. or like weather insurance. So. Let's say I have a, an activity outside and then it depends on the, the, the weather. Essentially, I can edge this risk by an insurance product. 
the triggers in case uh, there's rain that day. And, uh, but even crop insurance in, uh, in Kenya. So we crop embed insurance. crop insurance, yes. Wow, okay. So you can tie the performance of the crop based on uh, weather conditions. And then they're gonna have multiple triggers that uh, essentially if happen, there's a high correlation of low yield in the, in the crop. So let's say like uh, there's a drought or let's say like there's too much rain, the yield of the crops is gonna get reduced quite significantly. So you can tie in an insurance product in, uh, in that. So how do you, um, I mean, if we kind of dial it back and I mean, you know, it's probably something that the, um, the insurance companies have to determine what the level of risk is, right? How do you know that that premium or, or the people that are flooring the product and then the premium that's being paid out is actually accurate to the data set? So but to your example, like the crops and, you know, is there somebody that actually goes into that specific area and says the chance of a flood in this area is X, Y, or whatever the number is, or, you know, the chance of a drought based on this sort of seasonality is X percentage or whatever it is. And then the premium should be Y, right? How do you determine that that is an accurate uh, assessment? Yeah, that, that, that problem is uh, in the insurance industry is called like a basis risk. Yep. So, so it's essentially like the mismatch between uh, potential payout and the damage that the user like uh, had. So in the past, it was a pretty big problem in parametric insurance. Right now, it's, uh, it's getting more solved with the like IoT devices or the precision of satellite uh, images. So the mismatch between the, the risk and the, and the payout is getting like much uh, smaller. So in the way that we do, we analyze like historical data. So like 20 years, 30 years of data in the case of uh, weather. And then I'm trying to like match a correlation between what was the weather like uh, in this particular season and was, what was the yield. So you can never be like super precise. Mm. However, that's uh, like kind of the, the gap is uh, it's uh, shrinking right. recently. So it's, uh, it covers everything from like even, let's say, travel insurance, right? Or when you say weather insurance here in Hong Kong, if it's Typhoon 8 hits, then they get paid out. Like basically through the smart contract, automatically pay out, right? Correct. Right. So actually we did a product in, uh, in uh, US against uh, hurricanes. So essentially we can track the data of uh, NOEA, NOEA, which is the National Insurance, uh, National Hurricane like, uh, Center in, uh, in the US. And then we can track the, the wind in a particular location and check whether a particular zip code is, is in the path of a hurricane. If it is, we did a certain radio and then we, we release the payment immediately to the, to the users. So it's instant. I mean, instant. that's what the whole idea of smart, there's no delay. There's no assessment assessor yeah. that comes out and says, well, you know, maybe, or maybe we'll give you 50% or something like this. It's instantaneous. Yeah, so like from a user perspective, it's like parametric insurance and like, I mean, the, the fact that you have a, like a smart contract as a guarantee, right. it's like a big benefit because it's all automated and you know before and what's going to be the output. Mm, right. And so what's the, I mean, where do you see this type of uh, technology alt or like basically changing the insurance industry? I mean, aside from the fact that you don't have to go in and have an adjuster and you know those that, that type of middleman interaction. What sort of new business models or business use cases do you see coming out of this? 
Yeah, like I was uh, like during the conference here in uh, in Hong Kong, I was uh, actually discussing uh, like uh, a bunch of people about the concept of uh, usage-based insurance. In the usage-based insurance, uh, you have uh, like you push to the extreme the, the concept of uh, of insurance and then like all the technical infrastructure underneath. Because let's say like you you enter in a Uber and then like the the coverage just starts like during the time in uh, in the car. So as you can see here, like the 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 premium is a variable depending on time, and it's a constant stream. So, in a traditional like setup with traditional fiat currency and like uh, without having automation, that's something impossible. Right. Now you can think this on uh, IoT devices. So you connect like insurance policies trigger on based on IoT devices. So which is another like uh, interesting use case that I see, and uh, and the entire like market of micro insurance. So let's say like you want to sell a policy in, uh, in sub-Saharan like part of uh, Africa. So the premium, like uh, we're talking about like one or two dollars uh, over there with a lot of farmers. So having the ability to like sell, like set up a program there and be profitable, it's, it's almost impossible with a traditional technology. With blockchain, you can automate almost everything and reduce the cost of uh, like managing like a program like much like drastically right. and be able to launch like uh, new products there. So it's almost like, you know, it's similar to like uh, banking the bottom of the pyramid, but in an insurance way, right? So you're trying to provide financing or microfinance to those different companies. And now you're saying like, we can insure those people in their, let's say SME businesses. Yeah. How, how would that work out? Because they don't have like legal entities or anything. There's no need for that, right? Essentially. Like how would they get paid out, for example? So in, in the particular case of the product in, uh, in Kenya, so we work with a credit facility company in, uh, in Nairobi. So essentially they tied in the protection in the loan that they were giving out to the farmers. And the, these loans was used by farmers to buy seed and fertilizer. So they were going to the cooperative or the input provider. And generally they buy like uh, seed and fertilizer, taking a loan. They plant the, the crops and then when the crop is it, it's uh, harvested, then they pay back the loan. Right. So essentially we tied in like uh, the protection in this uh, loan and the protection was covering them in case of uh, drought or excess of uh, rain. And it was a seamless experience for, for them. Now the, the distribution, like by partnering up with the uh, cooperatives, it's much uh, easier than going directly to the final consumers. Right. Even though like, I, I mean, I believe in the in the future, that's where the industry is heading to because we're seeing like, uh, for instance, on USDC, like they recently did a partnership with a local company in, uh, in Kenya where they allow people to convert the USDC into Nigerian Naira in, uh, in seconds. Wow. So you're gonna like use a smart contracts, pay like uh, someone like directly to the local wallet in a, in a matter of seconds. Right. So I think that's, uh, we're going to see this like uh, across multiple markets. Multiple Do you see a specific industry particularly benefiting from this or, um, you know, a certain sector that benefits more than others? I believe like, I mean, the, the micro insurance uh, space, so uh, like farming, like it's going to be like uh, quite, quite impacted by, by this. However, you can expand the, the horizon to other products. Mm. So for instance, like um, micro coverages for, like cars or scooters in, in emerging markets or 
like we're trying to do a product in uh, in Ecuador for uh, drivers. So drivers, like, like yeah. just for when they drive a car or the actual car itself. So you're they, not doing automotive insurance. You're insuring the actual driver, so it doesn't matter which car they drive, kind of thing. So yeah, yeah like in uh, food drivers. So okay, this is like the so they essentially we tied in like an insurance product like that they can purchase by the day. And then it's uh, it's something that we can, like, we can distribute like uh, to them mm. and have almost seamless experience. Right. So you can think about this model like in uh, in multiple markets and this ability to do like very small coverages. I think it's uh, sure it, it gets interesting. How do you you know I think that's like a really interesting use case. It's like how do you of course you know every industry has some sort of bad actors if you will right and. You know, in this kind of situation, how do you prevent fraud from happening? So, I mean, fraud happens like uh, it's almost impossible to avoid them uh, completely. Sure. However, the in the structure of the policies we have, uh, we tend to do policies that are very short in, uh, in duration. Hmm. So we can track more or less like the the performance and the benefits of the blockchain is that we have all the real time uh, analytics coming to us. So if we see that there's a like a mistrend in the in the sort of data we can spot if there's something like uh, bad is happening and then we can make the corrective action immediately so i mean we we take advantage of the of the real like real time data right but the human nature it's uh, it's something that it's uh, difficult to to adjust so we just mitigate this uh, this problem interest right okay so i mean uh, ultimately you got distribution you got the claims you got the fraud situation i mean how do you ensure that the the platform is secure? Yeah, like so, in the like we, we developed the the platform using smart contracts on uh, on top of a public blockchain. Mm -hmm. So, and then like the platform went through different security audits from external uh, like auditing company that went and checked whether or not like there was a possibility of uh, of hack. Then, uh, as part uh, one of the things that I forgot to mention is that Insuro is a licensed company in. Uh, in Bermuda. So we are a licensed reinsurance uh, company and then we also have a, a digital asset license. That's super important, right? I mean. Exactly. <laughs> right. So it's, it's uh, so these two licenses essentially they allow us to act as a reinsurance company using crypto as a solvency capital. Now the the Bermuda Monetary Authority, which is the authority that regulates us, it's uh, imposed a certain set of uh, procedures in terms of security. So we need to have like a different type of like a pen penetration testing of the protocol, different type of uh, like procedures and uh, and testing like on a throughout the the year. So like being a regulated entity like can give certain like degrees of uh, of guarantees in terms of sure. securities. Did you have to have like two different licenses? Like, did you have to get a crypto license and uh, insure like a reinsurance license, or are they like combined into the same? License. So we got two two licenses in two uh, in separate Bermuda. licenses. Yes. Right, right, right. So actually, like the we have a digital asset uh, license, and then we have an insurance general business license under the the Bermuda Monetary Framework, and uh, so and there was also like the, the reason why we decided to to go in uh, Bermuda. Yep. Uh, Bermuda is the number three reinsurance market in the in the world. Right. So okay. I think like most of the insurance link security. Transactions are coming from there, and most of the like insurance uh, and reinsurance company have an office uh, in, in Bermuda. 
but also like there's been like recently a trend of uh, like the country pushing like innovation on the digital asset uh, sector mm. and a testament of this has been the coinbase like uh, okay. deciding to set up a, an office in bermuda and get a license uh, there so the entire derivative business of uh, coinbase is actually run from a, a bermuda uh, a Bermuda office. Right. So yeah, you guys should be working with them. Right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's like a next phase, I would say. Um, so yeah, kind of switching gears. I mean, if you kind of look at your own personal journey, I mean, you've gone through, you've gone through a whole bunch of different things. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your journey through, you know, um, you know, Mox and also the the previous startup as well. You know, what's been your experience as an entrepreneur, as a venture capitalist, also prior to that, right? I mean, you were an investor before. And then you kind of switch sides. So, you know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and it's a, uh, I mean, like right after the university, I got into an internship with a uh, with a uh, Chan Accelerator, which is this uh, accelerator group under the like a venture capital fund in uh, called SOSV. So jumped there and then was essentially doing like all sort of uh, works with uh, with companies. Eventually, I got uh, full time in this uh, in this accelerator and working as an analyst. So helping the, the companies like with different types of uh, problems that uh, an entrepreneur have in, uh, in daily, daily life. So like helping them like checking the documents, like investment documents or like uh, reviewing the, the deck that they were doing or like potentially like facilitating like introduction with, uh, with clients. However, working there, it's, what I realized is that like it's very different to give advice when you're on, on the other side of the Actually, it's very easy to give advice when you're on the other side of the table. Will, Will's going to watch this. So <laughs> just watch. Will Balbine is going to watch this. He's like, oh, this guy. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> so it's. Uh, I wanted to to actually like experience like the entire journey in, like on a on a first end, potentially even going back to the to the venture capital like, world after that, right. after like uh, having like a, a direct uh, experience in uh, running a company and, and being. Like touching first hand what what it means. Right. So he started like uh, so with a, a colleague of mine and a, a group of uh, friends from Brazil. So they were university professor from uh, the Institute of Pure and Applied Mathematics in uh, Rio, de Janeiro. So we started this uh, like layer two solution. It was very deep like uh, tech in the, in the blockchain space. So and we went through like all the bear market and the bull market and all the different type of uh, sites. So how long was that? That was for like three years. So I did uh, around two year and a half. Two and a half years, yeah, right. So we started when the when the market was in like booming in 2017. Yeah. So everyone was trying to decentralize uh, everything. Yeah, yeah. And then like the the crypto winter came in. So right. and then crypto like suddenly became a scam for in the eyes of uh, everyone. <laughs> so moving that transition has uh, has been yeah quite a journey. But. Uh, yeah, what I, what I learned from there is it's uh, just to set the horizon long term. So you can like ride the, the trends, nobody knows where, mm. where the, the market is going to go. So you just like uh, need to stick to the, to the fundamentals. Eventually, I decided to leave the, the company because you, I was uh, like doing business development for, uh, for Cartesi. But the product was taking quite, quite some time to, to be developed. So it wasn't actually launched at that point, or you were you were beating some, you were selling something that wasn't actually ready to ready yeah. for sale, right? Correct. So you're like, hey, 
you know, let's say Walmart, I've got this great product, but then you actually never built it already. Yeah, like, so it's, uh, it was like, right. uh, like it's an extremely complicated uh, product that right now is, is getting released on, uh, on mainnet. Still has not been released. Yeah. So, wow. So there's been six years of uh, like a wow. work of uh, around 60 people on like in the technology. 60, six years. 60. Wow. They Where did they get the funding for that? I mean, it's a ride for six years without a product. So it was a, like a launching a token in... Uh, oh, I see, I see. So, so they then, did an ICO. Yeah. Right. So okay. then went to Binance and like Coinbase and sure. all the different exchanges. So that one like managed to extend some of the... Oh, like the, the horizon of the of the company. Yeah, the However, extended. Right? Yeah, over there is a bit of a mismatch on the on the ICO culture uh, mm. as all, well. because, I mean, you you need to have like very committed and very like uh, solid people in order to stick in the company for a very long time. Right. Because in the ICO, you, you can essentially get like a very large amount of capital in a very short period of time. Right. And when the token unlocks, the incentive like to be in the company gets reduced. So you really need to believe in the product that you're doing. Right. So we've seen like in, from 2017 to now, like a lot of the company that did the ICO, like shut down or, or the funders mm -hmm. like had uh, money. So that one was, uh, I think it's uh, some merit there. I moved to the to price comparison website. So switched directly like industry. So I was in an e-commerce uh, website. Uh, acting as a chief strategy officer, and uh, yeah, over there we were comparing different uh, websites uh, for allowing people to find the best price. But what sort of product? Insurance products or no? The one was a uh, like uh, just a e general e-commerce, yeah. any type of product you could compare. Right. right. So yeah. it's the biggest uh, price comparison website in uh, Taiwan. Yep. And during my time there, we expanded to eight different countries. Mm. So we covered the entire South, uh, Southeast Asia market and uh, also started to, to enter in the Latin market. Mm. So over there, there's a, quite a big sensibility for pricing. Right. And uh, so over there, it was uh, interesting, like switching like the, the field, but the speed like in which the market was, uh, wasn't, wasn't fast enough. Wasn't right? fast enough. Have you got Again? Crypto? <laughs> what happened? Man? So it's, uh, <laughs> You're just like, you know, into Formula One kind of thing. Yeah, like it's a, once you get into crypto, like it's a, it's a daily, like, uh, yeah, by the minute, it's by the like minute, it's a change. So, like, uh, you get like addicted to adrenaline somehow. <laughs> so, I decided to start something in, uh, of mine again and, uh, like, start insurance around three years ago. So, I put together like a different people, like, from uh, the, the different experiences I had. So, my high school uh, classmate, there he was uh, like studying mathematics at the University of Oxford. Like uh, right. a PhD there, like an excellent entrepreneur, like from uh, from Mox, so from the Chan Accelerator and Mox uh, family, decided to convince him actually to leave the company. It was pretty leave, stable. Leave his startup or leave, leave his startup? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So the, the company was uh, pretty stable on his side, so no sign of an uptake or or going down. So I decided to uh, outsource the management and then jump uh, insurer because I was excited about the. Uh, Kind of the, the philosophy behind the company, and then like uh, throughout the journey, we also found a CFO uh, based in Bermuda that uh, found out about us and decided to be part of the journey with us. So right. a thirty so years he of found it. you, not you found him. Correct. Right. Okay. So we we posted a like a, a news there about our intention to get a license in Bermuda, oh, and then I he see. reached out to us on LinkedIn. Right. 
They say like, I really like what you guys are doing. I believe there's a, there's like a lot of potential in this. So I want to be part of the journey. So he, he came on board as a CFO. Right, right. Very cool. So, I mean, yeah, I guess a couple of things is, is like, you know, how do you, you know, inside of the space, a lot of people are just going inside to go for like the quick buck. I mean, you were talking a little bit about the ICO and, you know, retention and things like that. So how do you attract, how do you retain people when there isn't that sort of financial incentive per se, because there's a, it's a long tail type event, mm -hmm. right? Because you're, you're trying to build a business that takes a while to get traction and so forth. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, like, so one of the, let's, let's say, luck of, uh, like, of us is that we started the company around the, the bear market. Mm. So it's easier to find, like, people that are really committed in the, in the journey. <laughs> have so no other options now. So it's, like, uh, <laughs> be, like, a com completely transparent. However, like, it's uh, in the interview phase and, like, in the, like, in the selection phase, like, you can spot people that are committed to the, to the philosophy of the, of the company. Mm. So... And they really believe in the impact that the, that the company can make and then kind of like uh, like the environment that you can create as a, as a company. So if you make like a nice environment and you stick to the, to the philosophy and the, and the goal of the company, you're going to attract people that are pretty talented. Mm -hmm. And then like in the journey, like we, so we hire like a majority of our people from uh, Argentina. So oh, you did. That's right. All the technical people are in the, like right now, like even... How did that happen? I mean, that's so the, interesting. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't hear like when we talk about tech teams, you'll be like, oh, in China, and there's folks in Vietnam and, you know, India, of course. And, but I never hear like, hey, let's build a team in Argentina, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, like... Their hours must be like crazy, right? You're going to I got to talk to the dev team at like 3 a.m. or yeah. something like that. It's a kind of throwback, like, uh, like it is uh, generally like uh, asleep at this time, <laughs> but it's, like, uh, but it's uh, yeah, the CTO is, uh, is from Buenos Aires, so he came in Taiwan to participate in the MOX program and then kind of we stay like connected throughout the time and then like eventually decided to jump in uh, Insuro. But Argentina is a great, great place for hiring talent. Mm. So. The university are like one of the best in uh, LATAM. So right. the entire LATAM countries, like uh, people from uh, LATAM go in Argentina to, to study because the university is subsidized by the government, so it's free. Right. So you have like people from Venezuela, Colombia, like Chile, like they, they go and study in, uh, in uh, Buenos Aires, where there's a large concentration of uh, universities. Mm -hmm. And then like uh, people like... Uh, like the economy there is pretty, it's pretty bad. So you have it's people that are really like uh, resilient and hungry. Yeah, very resilient and hungry. Yeah. <laughs> like, like literally. <laughs> yeah, that one it's, is like they have. Uh, it's not easy, right? It's a very like uh, tough uh, market. Mm. So you have various, so people do, like it's normal to do two or three jobs in, mm. in Argentina. Right. So you can find like people like they're very, very strong there. And uh, and then like uh, they have a like a good computer science like uh, like education. On top of that, is uh, the market in Argentina. It's uh, like since there's a huge inflation, so it was recently around more than two hundred percent inflation. That's right. So people use crypto like in their their everyday life. Right. So you can think of like twenty thirty percent like a price fluctuation in uh, Bitcoin right. is a lot for people in uh, like. Uh, stable economy. Yeah. 
like if you compare it to the Argentinian pesos, it's, it's nothing. Right. So people like uh, adopt crypto and they use it in their everyday life and they see the impact of it. So it's like any crypto is a store of value there, yeah. not just Bitcoin. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> right. almost like a, I mean, the, the majority of uh, transactions happen in stablecoin. Yeah. So, and then through DeFi, like uh, people can invest into like financial products. Mm. And it was unheard of. So people in Argentina don't trust banks. So right. okay. because in, in the past, like during a financial crisis, the, the president of that country like sees the US dollars of the citizen and give them pesos instead. Oh, I see. So yeah, like basically mandatory conversion. Yeah. Right. So he stole money from the entire like population. And since then, people store money in, uh, under the, the pillows mm. in, in, on the mattress. Wow. So now as you can see, like, uh, because there's no, like, uh, because of the inflation and because of the lack of trust in the banking, then you don't have like lending markets. You don't have like, uh, like, uh, like super developed stock market and all the like, surrounding financial infrastructure. And that's where crypto can, can come mm. and fill the gap. So you have stable coins there, allow them to have money in, in US dollar. And then you have like DeFi protocols that allow them to lend their money like, and do a bunch of other things and right, earn interest. Right, right. So that's a market that I like uh, quite a lot. And I, like a lot of the talents are coming from mm. there, from Insurno. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went there ages ago. I mean, there's a lot of Italians. That's why you can exactly. fit in pretty well there. But, uh, but yeah, so I think, yeah, as far as uh, talent is concerned, I mean, basically it's global. It doesn't have to be you know, you're based out of Taiwan, you know, it could be inside of China, it could be elsewhere, right? It's just a matter of where the the fit is in terms of the teams and the people that you work with, right? Yeah, no, like, I think like, uh, I mean, even in the future, you're going to have like uh, global teams more and more. So it's getting much more easy. And the only pain is the probably phone calls like during the night. However, it's the, like the cost of organizing like, uh, like people, it's lowering down significantly. Mm. So probably like... Uh, COVID was a catalyst in, uh, in this. So you have like a project management uh, tool. So you have like, uh, like Discord, that is a tool that we use to chat. So Zoom, Google Meet, so you can coordinate quite a lot. And if you have people that are committed, you, you give them like macro like task. Right. And then like when you wake up in the morning and you know that like things right. are going to be done like in Argentina and the other way around. Right. So when you guys put out like new products and things, like let's say you go from uh, travel insurance to weather insurance to crop insurance is like how do you adjust or customize inside of those different products and, yeah. yeah so at the end is like an, on a parametric insurance product it's uh, they all kind of look the, the same yeah. from uh, so you have a particular trigger and then you have like a, a payout associated with that and a premium associated with that, that so it's a matter of analyzing the entire data in order to like estimate like a, a probability of uh, losses. So once you have the probability of losses then, and you have the payout, so you then have the, the pure premium. It's essentially like the minimum amount of uh, funds that an insurance needs to have to cover the expected losses. Mm -hmm. So on average, those money are gonna be paid out to the users. And then like you, you then add a certain component of uh, solvency capital so insurance needs to have more funds to cover the unexpected losses. So we calculate that based on industry standard. 
with the difference that the solvency gravity on our end is, uh, is in USDC, in uh, liquidity pools. So then you compose all these different prices and then you end up with a, with a final pricing. Right, I got it. So, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, you, you basically have sort of like a built-in buffers, if you will, right? So just kind of get it, get the premiums right. How do, how do the... How do the incumbent insurers view you and the platform, like Insuro? So they're interested in uh, space, however, like scared of uh, innovation in general. So we've seen in the, across all the financial markets, insurance is always the, the one like uh, that uh, always kind of la lags behind. So we've seen like in development in banks, like uh, that in the past year has been like quite uh, drastic, and the insurance still like it's trying to catch up on uh, on that. So when we try to explain our product, there's a bit of uh, reluctancy. Mm. Some groups are starting to change. So they see the benefits of, uh, of the technology and they need, and they understand that they need to switch, like, and at least understand uh, the technology. However, something that we do with the uh, insurers is that we figure out like a legal structure that allows us to connect directly with the, with the distributor of, of the product. So we take advantage of uh, like a, a legal structure called segregated account company in, uh, in uh, Bermuda. Okay. And these allow us to create uh, captives that is a self-insurance uh, like uh, structure. So and then we notice, like, I noticed on the, like, in, the, in the macro insurance trend that it's much more easy to transfer first party risk than to transfer third party risk. Mm -hmm. So the regulations are much more loose in a way. Right. So we transfer the first party risk in a captive and then we reinsure it. Right. So in, in that way, we, we have like a sort of independence in the, in the entire value chain. Mm. So we don't need to rely a lot on uh, traditional insurance uh, companies. Right. Are there instances where you partner with traditional insurers? So we recently launched a product with uh, Revo. Uh, Revo is a public listed company in, uh, in Italy under the Italian Stock Exchange. So the Milan Stock Exchange. In the case, we, they like, decided to partner with us because uh, the, the operational efficiencies of the product. There is a weather insurance product. So it covers uh, small and medium enterprises from uh, lack of revenue due to weather, due to adverse weather. So came to us and like, we, we worked with them like uh, quite a lot of uh, months in order to integrate their existing infrastructure with the, with the smart contracts. And right now the product is, uh, is live. Wow. How, yeah. How long did that take to kind of put together? So, in terms of technical infrastructure, like uh, not Super not more than uh, yeah, like a couple of weeks. But the deal itself. The deal itself has been like uh, painful. So, <laughs> I mean, like being yeah. a, like a public listed company, they yeah. need to go through like a series of uh, sure. processes. So it takes time to to kind of go throughout all the stakeholders and and launch a product. Right. But now it's. Uh, so generating as every industry, like once someone like did, uh, does the first step, then the other follow. So after that, we've seen more interest from traditional carriers. Yeah. What sort of advice do you have like for other um, startups and fintechs to working with incumbents? Like, do you have any key learnings or any tips that you would recommend to any of the other startup founders? Like, how do you work with a traditional bank or a traditional insurer or other? So, like. They, in, in the B2B world in general, even more so in, uh, in the financial like, uh, markets, uh, 
people like tend to to work with companies that they they believe they can stay like uh, like for a long time they sure. can survive for a long time so you need to have like in uh, like the mindset of the long term mm. so like the there's a lot of risk like the companies like the, the people inside the companies like need to have when uh, when partnering with a with a startup so and it gets reduced over time like when when they see you around and when they see you active like in uh, in products so this is I think is uh, the first uh, like um, advice that I, that I give and then following them like uh, across trying to find a champion in uh, in the company right so identify a person that in in the company can bet you and then can uh, promote you inside the stakeholders so it's something that has been like uh, very very useful right right and then it's a, a lot of education inside of it, right? Yeah. Okay. But like, if you have a champion in the company and like a kind of, let's say like is interested in crypto, or like uh, understand like the, really like the goal of your, your company, then like if like that person teaches inside the organization, the power of a, a user or our world are going to be like much more strong. Mm-hmm. So you need to support the champion in order to do the work of uh, evangelizing the company inside right yeah so i think um quite a bit of i mean obviously you had a lot of time in these two different startups that you've done right i mean and a lot of key learnings in how to do penetration inside of these bigger accounts and stuff where do you see the insurance company go i mean where do you see this this plant insuro and the platform and you know basically this whole insurance space being impacted by this type of technology what do you see are like top three top five trends that are going to be going for the next five years so like in the insurance uh, market in general what i'm seeing it's uh, the brokers and the managing general agents there are the parties in the insurance value chain that they have uh, a distribution network and then the ability to price a certain risk they are slowly like uh, understanding that they need to rely less and less on traditional carriers so there's a different like a mindset and a different speed so i'm seeing a trend in uh, of them setting up like a uh, carriers themselves so we've seen some example in uh, in europe and some example in the us and i think like it's gonna come here in asia as well so generally if you have a broker on NGA business then you tend to make your revenues like only on commissions so you don't have a lot of the upside there whereas if you set up your own uh, like uh, insurance care then you get like the upside on on the underwriting profits as well so we're seeing like a, a huge trend on uh, on that parametric is another like uh, uh, field that I think it's gonna just continue to grow right it's like all the different use cases are expanding beyond yeah like so you, you have like a much more data yeah like uh, even like some application of AI that it's uh, allows you to analyze this uh, data and I uh, have satellite like I mean SpaceX was a catalyst in this in all the so it the cost of like launching satellite in orbit has been decreased by a couple of order of magnitude almost. So right now there's a huge development of like satellite images and, and satellite driven uh, data. So the basis risk is, uh, is shrinking quite quite a lot. So that's another trend that I'm that I'm seeing. And then like eventually the users based insurance. So where you have like micro policies that you can activate on on the go. Right. So let's say you rent a car and like. Once you like rent a car, they get a coverage connected with that, or like, like you, you go in the airport and you get like a pop up in the message and knows that you're in the airport. They can insure your your flight. 
So all this type of uh, coverage, like, like that, that push the user whenever they need it most. Right. So it's uh, basically usage based. Yes. It's, it's uh, you go on a hike. They so they see you on the GPS. You're at the top of the at the start of the hiking trail, and they're like, "Here's it." Here's a hiking insurance or something like yes, that. Yes, I right. think like yeah. it's a kind of like we have like an amount of data, just that the the infrastructure of the traditional insurance company it's not it's well like lag behind like for right. handling this type of use cases. Right. So there's been like uh, there's a need for switching like uh, infrastructure and like a need for new players to come in the space and take advantage of this. Right. Do you see? I mean, how do you strike the balance between giving a, a fantastic you? you know, use user experience, right? Or versus like person's privacy or the personal data that you have to use to give that experience. Yeah, like it is, uh, I mean, like, uh, I think like the blockchain comes in in play like uh, uh, here. Yeah. So you have like, uh, actually like with use cases like on uh, like the leverage of blockchain technology, you have the ability to analyze data on, uh, on the device of the of the user, like without, and then like having like security that the leader not gonna leak out. So, like I, I see like more and more application on that, or or even like uh, application of uh, zero knowledge. So essentially, like you can analyze the data without actually seeing the, sure. the data. So there's been like uh, some use cases over there. Are you are you actually actively using zk inside of your solution? No, not yet. Not yet. So it's something like uh, right now, like the analysis of the data is done by our partners. Okay. So they are the one that like. Uh, do the, the risk modeling and then we support them with uh, with that. But we're seeing like trends of uh, this uh, like happening in the in the future. So the intersection, particularly inside of insurance, doesn't matter. It's specifically on your platform, but it's definitely in terms of let's say identity or digital identity and all those different things. Getting zk inside of the insurers is actually happening quite extensively. Yep. So I mean, not yet. Like we're seeing, like people are talking about it in the in the industry, and I sure. think it's a trend like uh, they were, they were gonna see like soon. Right. Cool. Um, thanks a lot, Marco, for coming yeah. in. It was uh, great to have a chat and appreciate the time. I know you got a tight schedule, so you gotta head out to the airport now. But I mm -hmm. uh, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank thanks you. a lot. <laughs> cool.